S Management, and it begins right now. Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think Georgia made three great choices in terms of who it's taking with it to SEC Media Days next week in Atlanta. By the way, Dog Nation is going to have a ton of coverage for you on all of that. And I think the three guys selected by UGA help kind of establish the narrative for Georgia here this season. And in some respects, I think what the Georgia players will talk about next week is going to be a little bit of a pushback against what I think people and I don't mean this like in a negative way but when people talk about UG I think they talk about it right now in kind of a certain fashion and I think what's on display next week is going to be a little bit of a rebuke against that you know here's here's some of the things you commonly hear about Georgia like I said before this is not like coming from like an anti-UGA place necessarily from the people who say this this is just the common conversation that's being had it's the notion of well Georgia is the reigning national champion but my gosh they lost so much off defense that offense better really be able to step up, really be ready to step up for Georgia to be able to keep pace after what it did a year ago. That's kind of the the narrative that's out there. When people say, you know, offense, what they really mean is throwing the football and, you know, kind of, you know, bringing that sort of flashier element into the game. Uh, that's what a lot of folks think Georgia's going to have to do because of everything that it's lost off defense. And I do think that next week, is going to be a little bit potentially of a rebuke against some of that, especially if some of the things the players say next week end up coming true during the season. Let me start with Nolan Smith here for a moment. I think one of the things that Nolan Smith, and by the way, nice, uh, if you're watching on video, nice three-panel look at those three guys, Stetson Bennett, Cedric Von Prine Granger, and Nolan Smith. I think Nolan Smith was probably the easiest person to, uh, to peg as being there for UGA, just the clear spokesman of that defense. Stetson Bennett, you know, Kirby last year took quarterback with uh, JT Daniels, so taking Bennett, maybe not a surprise. I, I, I said last week I thought there was a chance maybe Karis Jackson would get the nod there as the third member there for UGA, but we certainly mentioned mentioned SVP as one of those possibilities we also had mentioned Chris Smith as maybe being one of those possibilities too but Van Prahn Granger getting a chance to go and be the third guy there for Georgia I think uh, it's a great selection for reasons I'll get into there in a moment but on the topic of Nolan Smith when Nolan Smith speaks at SEC media days next week I think one of the things that he's going to stand up and say with his words and eventually display with his actions is that while Georgia has certainly lost a lot. Five first-round picks off the same defense, 15 total draft picks off off the reigning national championship team. While Georgia has lost a lot, as all of you are very keenly aware, Georgia still has a lot, too. It has a lot in terms of on-field expectations, projected future draft picks, but also in terms of the kind of intangible quality that drove Georgia a year ago. It's still got a lot of that in place because, let's face it, down the stretch last season, one of the most – prominent and articulate vocal leaders for Georgia was Smith and so Smith who kind of occupied that role last season even though he was playing with five eventual first round picks that are no longer here Smith already had plenty of bass in his voice when he stood up there and spoke to the team and when he stood up there and spoke to the media on behalf of the team in fact of all the things that were said last year leading into what turned out to be the ultimate special season for Georgia. I think in that kind of time leading up to that national championship, Nolan Smith, who obviously finished his high school career at IMG Academy, but you know, grew up in the Savannah area, knows the state of Georgia, knows the University of Georgia. Smith speaking about what it would mean for UGA to win a national championship. The stuff that he said last year is a very strong indication of why Georgia picked him, Kirby Smart picked him, to represent this team at SEC Media Days here this year. So i got to tell you, if you get more next week from what we got from Nolan late last year, we could be in for a pretty good show there at SEC Media Days. Let me give you a reminder of this on Nolan Smith heading into that national championship game with talking about what a national championship would mean for Georgia. This is Nolan. I mean, I think it means everything, you know, it's a lot of kids that's born and raised in the state of Georgia, and this is one that you'll never forget. And I always tell, always talk about leaving a legacy to my kids, but this is the ultimate, you know. Kind of like, you know, a lot of people go to the programs just because of their father and everything. I want that to be my son's choice, but ultimately, this is my goal and my dream to be able to walk back here 
and you know, point point at you know, son, this is what I did here, and you know, we born we born and raised here, so why would we want to do that? Those of us who are Georgia fans, I mean, we just eat that stuff up. I know I do. I mean, uh, when when a current young player has an appreciation for legacy, an appreciation for history, when when a guy like that understands how he could potentially be remembered 20, 30 years from now on the basis of what he does in that moment, I mean, that just really works on me. It really does. Maybe I'm overly sentimental or whatever else, but that just really works on me when a guy like that speaking that way, and it's clearly an indication of why he's being asked to speak for Georgia next week. And, and you know, yesterday I thought that Connor Riley and I had a pretty fun conversation as it relates to Nolan because – I do think the potential is there for Nolan to be great on the field. I'm talking about about top shelf great, the way that players were great for the Georgia defense last season. But that's not the only reason that Nolan's being picked here. I mean, let's be honest, that if you think about, you know, the guys who are sort of expected to be Georgia's best players on defense, you'd probably mention Jalen Carter. You'd probably mention, you know, Keely Ringo before you got to Nolan. Now, you wouldn't wait too far before getting to Nolan, but you'd probably mention Ringo and Carter before mentioning uh, Nolan there in that regard but that's not necessarily what sec media days is it's not necessarily just the selection of the three best players in the georgia team or the three best players on any of the teams that 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 are going to sec media days it's kind of the intersection of comfort speaking to a large group of people sort of the leadership validation that that teams want to 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 give to a person by taking him with you and obviously the expected on-field contribution there as well the nolan smith is clearly the intersection of all of those type of things and as i said for a a group of folks out there in some cases media in some cases fans who sort of think well everything that was great about the georgia defense kind of moved on to the nfl or sort of moved out of the program I think Nolan Smith next week talking about himself, talking about Keely Ringo, talking about Jalen Carter, guys who are probably just a little bit less comfortable speaking publicly, a lot more comfortable letting their actions on the field speak for them. Nolan speaking on their behalf next week, I think stands as a strong reminder of exactly what Georgia does have still coming back here for this upcoming season. And in a similar situation when it comes to Cedric Von Prong Granger there as well. One of those guys tabbed to be at SEC Media Days next week. It seems like centers oftentimes are leaders for teams. Georgia happens to have a pretty good legacy at the center position. Some of the key vocal leaders for UGA throughout the years have been guys who played at that center spot. A lot of college ball teams and a lot of NFL teams kind of end up being the same way for whatever reason. That's just kind of the importance of center in the modern game. And I think that SVP for Georgia this year has a chance to be one of the very best in the country and his selection here kind of matters because I think it's also a little bit of a pushback against what is a pretty prevailing narrative as it relates to UGA that I think a lot of folks look at the absence of guys from last year's defense they look at the offense as needing to do more for Georgia this year that's probably true but that doesn't necessarily mean the Georgia offense needs to be flashier for all that to come to pass and some of you just kind of want it to be flashier and you have a right to want whatever you want But in terms of the real value-add opportunity for UGA, I actually look no further than the offensive line when I think about that because I think that last year on a national championship team, the Georgia offensive line was probably good, but not I wouldn't say great. I would say they were very, very good maybe even, but but they weren't the best offensive line in the Kirby Smart era. I don't know that they were the best offensive line in college football. They certainly played like that when they needed to down the stretch against Clemson, national championship game when Broderick Jones was inserted. They certainly played like that when they needed to, but this was not to me the best offensive line that Georgia has had since Kirby Smart has been head coach. But you want to go back to spring practice here for a moment. That's what Cedric Von Prong Granger wants this unit to be this year. He does believe they maybe played better a year ago. They were given credit to, for being. And some of the same sort of chip on the shoulder type narrative that he tried to establish during the spring, my guess is he also brings some of that to SEC media days with him next week. And I think that's a great conversation because I think it is a reminder that for a lot of folks who kind of wonder, well, how much better can Georgia be? Let this offensive line go out and improve to the degree I think it can. Let this offensive line become as good as I think it can be. All of a sudden, you're talking about an entirely new level of, of achievement that could be unlocked for the Georgia offense. Let's let you hear Cedric Von Prawn Granger from the spring as a preview from what you might also hear next week about wanting to be recognized as the very best offensive line in college football. Take a listen. I'll say this. We definitely want to honor the guys that came last year, but honestly, this is a new group and we feel slighted because 
we let me let me rephrase that not slighted slighted is the right word we just you want to use it as motivation that we didn't win the joe moore last year so we want to be the best group possible so listen i mean you know what the joe moore award is it's the award given out to the top group the best offensive line in the entire country and cedric von Prine granger says hey new team new story new season we want to be the team that wins that award here this year I got to tell you, if we hear more of that kind of talk from him at SEC Media Days next week, that is certainly going to be a fun thing to be a part of. And for a Georgia team that does, in some form or fashion, need to get better on offense, the easiest way for that to occur is for this offensive line to play at the top end of their potential. And it sounds like SVP is locked in on this group being able to do just that. That's really good stuff. And then finally, there's this. Stetson Bennett being mayor is one of those really interesting things where there may be a lot of people who haven't asked him questions before. There are going to be a lot of people who try to resurrect the same old story when it comes to Stetson. Oh, he's a former walk-on, and he's kind of surprised the world by being the starting quarterback on a team that won the national championship. How good are you? What happened in terms of you know maybe making the decision to come back to UGA and all that kind of stuff? A lot of folks will try to resurrect all of that with Bennett again because they haven't had a chance to write their own version of the same story we've all read nine million times. We understand that. But ultimately, the thing I think about Stetson Bennett being at SEC Media Days, it's actually the most fun. It's actually the best overall. The thing that I think is kind of the coolest as it relates to this is that I don't know that anyone has as much appreciation for what Georgia did last season than Bennett does. Bennett, who grew up a Georgia fan, much the same way a lot of us grew up as Georgia fans doing the things that Georgia fans did, Bennett kind of grew up doing that same kind of stuff. So I do realize that SEC Media Days next week is going to be a look ahead to the new season, and it is appropriate to turn the page and get ready for what's going to happen in 2022. And at some point in time, you know, you've got to put 2021 in the past, although some of us have been a little slow to want to do that. I, I, I get all of that, but let's face it. Next week is a little bit of a time for Georgia to take a bow. Next week is a little bit of a time for Georgia to say, hey, we did it. We are the national champions. This ought to be a week to celebrate what we brought back to the SEC. Once again, the national championship trophy in possession of this league. Um, it ought to be a chance for, for Georgia to do that. And I think Bennett's history, Bennett's time growing up as a fan of this team makes his story even more fun and even better and he talked about that going back to indianapolis after georgia won the national championship an appreciation for what the team had done and kind of an appreciation for his own evolution from fan to player and i hope we hear more of that from him also next week at sec media days here's a reminder from right after the game when we were all still in indianapolis you know me and a player who graduated a few years ago kind of were talking about this the other day you know I know Lindsey Scott he's from Wayne County he's he's um that's down there where I'm from obviously I know Herschel Buck to Buck Blue and a few other guys on the team I grew up listening to you know Larry Munson highlights on YouTube all his calls but you know there's a there's a point in time when you become a player that you can't really be be a fan anymore and I don't really know when that switch was and I don't really know why, but you kind of flip a switch um, because you go through the day-to-day -day and you know all these guys can't really be fans of them. You can't really be fan. I don't really know how to explain it, but yeah, I guess I do know, you know, the magnitude for everybody else out there because I was a fan at one point. So, I mean, I know it's a, I know it's a pretty big deal. And that level of introspection is just interesting to hear. And that level of appreciation for the historic nature of the accomplishment for Georgia last season is also just pretty cool there as well and i do hope we hear some more of that from stetson bennett next week too the bottom line is, is this is that georgia has made careful selections about who it's bringing to sec media day and they all kind of help to further the narrative that's in place for georgia nolan smith represents this defense still has plenty left over to come back and do big things in 2022 cedric von Prong granger represents an offense that could be propelled by an even better offensive line this year possibly the nation's best as he suggested that maybe it had a year ago and stetson bennett stands as the guy still working on his legacy while also appreciating what it was that georgia accomplished last season that's a really fun story and it's a story I look forward to hearing George tell next week at the big event. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Breda Pest Management and available for you live on video starting 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and as a podcast. 
the Apple Player, Spotify, the Google Player, WolfamousDogNation.com. Lots of ways for you to connect with us. We're just really glad you do. And as kind of a way of saying thank you for that, let me tell you about something that you can do right now to put more money in your pocket. And this matters. It involves our friends at Breda Pest Management who also make this show available for you here today. And Breda understands one thing. That stuff's expensive right now. And when it comes to like your pest control provider, your your termite protection, you may be getting those letters every year. Hey, service price going up and just getting more expensive like seemingly everything else is. So finding a way to save money when you can is obviously one of those things you need to do. And when you switch your termite uh, 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 service, when you switch your pest control uh, provider to Breda Pest Management, they're going to save you money instantly just for doing that. They're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. They're taking care of all the athletic venues there in Athens, including Sanford State. Stadium. And you know, on a playing service like there at Sanford Stadium, you're talking about a space that's got room for millions of termites. That's how invasive they can be. It's the kind of protection Breda Pest Management provides you, taking care of all that kind of stuff, you know, helping you uh, be what you need to be. They've been doing that in the Atlanta area here since 1975. You've got hundred something people working for you hard. And that kind of strength, that kind of size gives them a chance just to provide you great service for a much lower price. So make the switch to Breda Pest today and put more money in your pocket for, by doing so. So please check them out online. It's BredaPest.com to learn more. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. You can learn more about how they can put more money in your pocket right away when you make the switch to Breda Pest Management. All right, let's do this here if you don't mind. Uh, I'm running a little bit late. We're going to do Around the Doghouse and talk a little bit about our uh, Dog Nation um, uh, duck hunt tailgate. Michael, if you don't mind, let's postpone doghouse for a little bit later on the show i'll talk about the dog nation duck hunt tailgate here for a moment and we'll get ready to bring on today's special guest after that because i don't want to keep him uh waiting here we have got uh a waiting list that's being worked on when it comes to the dog nation duck hunt tailgate we did sort of exceed our capacity on that but there is still a chance we may have a little more room left for our big event now if you've been kind of in and out you've been on vacation you haven't heard about this let me explain what this is So on September 3rd, prior to Georgia taking on Oregon, from 12 to 3, right there at the Home Depot backyard, which is right next to uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, we are going to have a great tailgate. And your ticket price includes your really cool Dog Nation Duck Hunt uh, tailgate t-shirt, your food that day, your beverage tickets, a chance to hang out and have a great time. And we knew the tickets would go fast. They have. But there was a chance that we may be able to kind of clear some more folks in there. So go to DogNation.com, get onto the waiting list, and you have a chance to be a part of that. And I am uh, just really excited about that. So that's still out there for you. A limited space to be on the waiting list, and hopefully we can get a few more tickets and give you a chance to be a part of that. And obviously the entire thing, a great list of sponsors have helped make all of this possible. We would not be able to do it if it was not for them. So let me say thank you right now to our friends at Kroger. R.S. Andrews, 7-6 Apparel, uh, The Finish Long Drink, uh, Merriweather and Tharp, great group of sponsors who made all this possible, and a limited time for you to still get on that waiting list. So hopefully we can get you in there and be a part of the Dog Nation Duck Hunt tailgate. I'm really, really excited about that. Something else I'm excited about here is getting a chance to speak to Mr. College Football Tony Barnhart. There's so much going on around the SEC right now, so much involving the Georgia Bulldogs as reigning national champs for the first time in a long time. What do you say we cover all of that with Tony Barnhart right now here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management? From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, we'll say hello to uh, Mr. College Football Tony Barnhart, pinch hitting in the uh, program today, and it's always a chance to catch a uh, great chance to catch up with Tony because. Uh, we love talking college football with him. Tony, hope you're having a great summer and uh, having a good time. And we appreciate, I think, our first time speaking to you here in a little while here. So glad to have you back on the show today. Great summer, short summer. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at my bride on July 4th and she said, summer's over, right? I said, yeah, <laughs> here we go. Just about. That seems the way that it goes and on, on the other side of that uh, holiday for sure. And Tony, you've covered a lot of seasons, but the storyline in place here in Athens uh, for the first time in a long time, is Georgia beginning a year as the reigning national champion in college football? How do you think that makes things different for the dogs? And, you know, what do you think about kind of, I guess, what comes next for a team that answered a lot of critics and, and uh, sort of changed a lot of history last year by doing what it did in Indianapolis against Alabama? 
you know, the next chapter in this story for Kirby Smart and Georgia on the heels of having won a national championship. It makes it totally different. I've had this conversation with Nick Saban a number of times. He said it's completely different. When you're coming off a championship, the natural instinct of all human beings is to relax. You've reached your goal. Uh, and now you, you, you are tempted to simply coast. It's not something that you do on purpose. It's just the psychological makeup of human beings. And he said his toughest challenge as a coach was to make his players understand, no, you got to work harder than you did last year. And particularly given some of the personnel losses that Georgia's had. So this, I told a group the other night I spoke to from the Terry College of Business, it's going to be fascinating to watch how Georgia manages the situation. Do you think it makes it any easier? Now, it's never easy to lose talented players, but the fact that some of the guys that are in key roles this year were not necessarily in those roles last year, and so at least along one line of thought, hey, they're hungry for the chance to show what they're all Mm -hmm. about. Does that make it easier not to get complacent when some of the guys that may have been on the roster for last year's national championship but maybe weren't playing as much then as they want to play now or maybe weren't the key leader the way that they're going to expect to be now, does that make it easier to fight complacency at all? I, I think you, I think that's a very good point because it's a different situation. You are, have gone – first of all, you're a very talented player. That's why you're there in the first place. But now you're going to be given the opportunity to take a leadership role, to be uh, a key player, a dominant player. And uh, and if you recruit well and you stack recruiting classes on top of each other, that's the way it's supposed to work. And uh, and by all, you know, everything that we've seen, that's exactly what Kirby Smart has done at Georgia. The other thing that kind of comes to mind to me about Georgia here is, if you think about the offseason, you know, obviously – Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban got more attention. Mm-hmm. I would say that Lincoln Riley at USC's gotten more attention. That's even before they went to the Big Ten. You know, the way in which the NIL stuff, you know, has kind of erupted. It's been a pretty quiet off season for the reigning national champion. Now, I'm pretty sure Kirby Smart's quite content to not really be <laughs> dominating the headlines, but you almost kind of wonder if that for Georgia eventually becomes his own source of motivation of, hey, did people forget that actually on the field, uh, we're the ones that won it all last year, Georgia could say. You know, off the field, UGA may not be the sexiest team in terms of generating headlines, but on the field, things seem to work out pretty well. Is that one of those things where Kirby's just sort of content to fly under the radar, or do you think that maybe privately they are, I don't know, uh, you know, kind of using that as a source of motivation of people forgot what y'all did last year? I think the head coach is loving it. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's loving it. He said, look, let's go about our business. That's that's how we won a national championship. We just took care of our business. And, uh, yeah, and it, yeah, it, it's one of those situations where the, uh, the fans and maybe the talk shows don't do it, but – the guys in that building know know how good Georgia is and what they have a chance to do if if they do the right things, if they, you know, if they if they work as hard and all that. So uh, no, I think uh, I think the head football coach at Georgia likes uh, sort of being un- under under the lights. I want to talk about SEC media days for a minute. And obviously, we do a Georgia show every day, but I, I've always just loved SEC football. I enjoy this event because of the storylines that have come out from SEC media days throughout the years and. Tony, I don't know where you kind of stand on this, but I think this upcoming week in Atlanta next week has a chance to be as interesting as an SEC media as we've seen in quite some time. And, you know, some of this will be related to like the NIL stuff and things like that. But like the actual football storylines here are, are pretty fascinating, too. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Brian Harston had to fight to save his job. Just a few days ago, Billy Napier oh, yeah. had to write an open letter to kind of calm some Florida fans who are already getting pretty anxious. <laughs> you know, Brian <laughs> Kelly is going to be at SEC Media Days next week. That's not something I ever probably thought we'd be saying, that even if you keep this to just what's happening between the white lines, the actual football topics oh. next week are, are pretty fascinating for me. Well, which, which is why, Brandon, that uh, the, the toughest thing to pick right now, I, I can tell you who's going to win the SEC East and SEC West. I feel pretty confident about that. But I can't tell you who's going to finish second in the East and second in yeah. the West because there's so many interesting things going on. But the, the thing that Billy Napier of Florida, I just found, I, I just found that so amusing. I mean, <laughs> here's, here's, here's a guy that just got there, and now the recruiting the recruiting geeks are going out of their mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I find that fascinating. What you know, South Carolina. Shane Beamer did a great job his first year around bringing in Spencer Rattler, a very very talented quarterback who was a Heisman Trophy candidate not that long ago. And how is that going to work out? Tennessee 
and Hooker. Uh, I think Tennessee did a great job of establishing their identity. And obviously, the, the story about Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M, well, Brandon, you follow this. Didn't, didn't they sign the greatest class in the history of mankind? Isn't that what they did? That sounds, that's a, that sounds like a pretty good deal there. Yeah, so, for sure. So no pressure. And people forget, yeah, Texas A&M beat Alabama last season. But you know what? They went 4-4 four and four in the league. Yeah. So that, there's a lot of great storylines going into SEC media days. Happy to have it in Atlanta, I might add. I think, I think that's exactly right. And you mentioned the story in the SEC East about who finished the second behind Georgia. You know, I do think Tennessee's probably pretty good. Now, I don't think they're good enough to – I mean, Georgia won easily in Knoxville last year, so I don't know that it changes all that much with these two teams playing in Athens this year. In fact, I'm pretty sure it doesn't change you know, very much at all. But I can certainly listen to anyone who wants to say Tennessee's probably like a top 25 team this upcoming season. Could they be like a top 15-ish type team? I think there's a chance that might be true too. I think Hindenooker is actually probably a pretty good quarterback. But I think, you know, the comparison between the Vols and, like, say, Kentucky is probably pretty tight. I mean, I think that the Kentucky is probably not quite ready to to seed the floor yet after a you know pretty good win-loss mm-hmm. record last season. I think in the case of South Carolina, even with Spencer Rattler, I think it's kind of hard in year two to build off what Shane Beamer did in year one. What he did a year ago is very impressive, but it's just kind of hard to take that next step as a program. So I think overall there's probably more depth in the east i don't think it rises the level of being a threat to georgia but in no. terms of just kind of a more competitive vision than maybe it has been i don't think there's any doubt that's probably true well and when you look at two through seven let's just take two through seven in the sec east this is going to be a let's take vanderbilt out of that equation but two through six in the sec east those game a lot of those games are going to be 50 50 games all year and that that makes for an interesting year and and you gotta to have a good year you gotta win the close ones right? close ones so I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, watching those teams two through six play. And on the other side, for a moment, when you look at the SEC West, you mentioned you know Jimbo Fisher. It's really weird because I think when it comes to like preseason ranking, A and M's going to probably be ranked pretty high. But when it comes yeah. to like some of the gambling stuff, you know, like some of the analytics, you know, fancy stat type stuff. I think a lot of people are still sort of from that line of thought are still sort of expecting A and M to be kind of about what they were, which is like an eight and four, nine and three type team in the regular season. At a certain point in time, you know, Tony, is that going to be enough? Like right now, I think that Jimbo is very popular with his boosters because of the way that he talks and kind of the fact that he's sort of resurrecting a level of uh, of excitement around that A and M program that actually hasn't existed very very much uh, to mm-hmm. the tune that maybe it does right now. But for a lot of people who are thought to have kind of ponied up to bring the recruiting success they had last year, what if the return on that investment, so to speak, isn't immediate? Um, I do think that creates kind of an interesting atmosphere and a vibe around A&M, which is leading to the question of, do you think A&M is actually competitive with Alabama and the SEC West, or do you expect this to once again be kind of one of those teams that finds a way to go maybe 8-4, and 9-3, and three, but not quite getting to that 10-win mark, which is something that, that Jimbo still has not done with the Aggies? Well, you got you got to tell me how the quarterback's going to play. Yeah. Okay. Haynes, you know, not a lot of talk about this in the off season, but Zach Calzada, who beat Alabama last year as a starting quarterback, is not even there anymore. He's at Auburn. Haynes King, who was supposed to be the guy, got hurt early. Didn't wasn't a contributor all year. He's back. They've got some freshmen that they like, but they look. You're not, you're not going to get it done in this league without good quarterback play. And if if they get good quarterback play, they've got the talent to be competitive. Now, are they going to beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa on October 8th? No, they're not. Okay? Alabama's going to win the division. But uh, Texas A&M can win the rest of their game. And so, this this is a big, you know, Jimbo Fisher is not in any fear of losing his job. But this is what I call a quality of life year. You got to do something better than four and four to set you up for next year. No, I think it's exactly right. Let me finish with this final topic, if you don't mind. There was some reporting earlier this week from Matt Hayes that, according to people he's talked to within the league, the SEC is not considering any more expansion for now. You know, Texas and Oklahoma are on their way, yep. and eventually no immediate response to the Big Ten bringing in USC and UCLA. Is that your understanding of the situation? And I guess it's kind of a follow-up to that. Is that sort of related to the notion that, one way or another, Notre Dame, if it joins a league, may not be a very good cultural fit for the SEC. And these other ACC teams are just sort of contractually locked up for such a long time. That's not a realistic consideration anyway. Is that kind of what the story is here related to this? 
the, the, the harsh reality for those schools, Brandon, is Georgia doesn't need Clemson or Florida State. Okay, now they are good programs. Yeah. They, they play good football, but this is not about good football teams. This is about how many eyeballs can you put on television set. This is about market share. And if you're – the SEC already has the University of South Carolina and the University of Florida in its footprint. And the reality is – now, if Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, I might rethink this. But for now, there is – the SEC does not need any more teams to get accomplished what they want to get accomplished. There was a little bit of rumbling the other day that Phil Knight uh, had just been cold calling, you know, a place for Oregon mm-hmm. to land. I think the Big Ten would probably be their first choice there on that, along with maybe Washington there as well. But there had been some reporting coming out of uh, the Pacific Northwest that, hey, maybe even, you know, the SEC. Do you think the SEC would ever just sort of <laughs> just completely like, you know, break the fourth wall of, you know, what this has been in the past and actually just move way out west and like just completely try to become a national league? That's essentially what the Big Ten is now with Rutgers and and yeah. uh, and, and uh, USC. If this thing ever does grow further, do you think there's a chance the SEC might consider becoming a true national league and taking on the likes of a of a Washington, Oregon, and 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 just kind of becoming, you know, something that's an unwieldy behemoth compared to what we you know, sort of used to think of as the ten team SEC? I don't, I don't see it, Brandon. I really don't. Uh, I think if, if the SEC felt like they needed to expand, they would. Do, you know, they, they, to me, they would they would look at the Big Twelve. Or the ACC, or something like that. I don't. I just don't think. Look, you got to understand that the Big Ten situation is a was a very was unique. Okay, in the sense that, first of all, USC and UCLA knocked on the Big Ten's door and said, "Hey, we're leaving. Are you interested?" And you're looking around, saying, "We're talking about the number two television market in the United States, and you just could. They just couldn't pass that up." There's no, to me, there's no equivalent for the, for the SEC, unless, unless it was Notre Dame. So again, yeah, you don't think in terms of quality teams, you think in terms of market share, uh, in the television market fascinating stuff tony i know you're excited about sec media days for next week and uh, i'm sure you'll have plenty of coverage how can folks find you on social media and some of the stuff that you might be doing uh where can they uh, get more of the uh, work that you're doing well uh, we have our own website which is under the si.com umbrella si.com slash colleges slash tmg the tmg stands for the media guides uh a bunch of us old newspaper guys have put this site together several years ago and uh One's in Boston, one's in Chicago, and I'm in Atlanta. So we have a lot of fun. But that's si.com slash colleges slash TMG. Tony, it's always great to have you on the show. I just appreciate your insight, and obviously you bring a lot of expertise to the table. So fun to be able to talk to you. We'll look forward to hopefully getting a chance to chat with you soon. All right, Brandon. Take care. Good stuff there from Tony Barnhart. Why don't we roll on to our SEC through for now? take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through yeah i think that tony brings a pretty good point there when it comes to potential future conference expansion you know it's just not obvious what the sec will do next nor is it obvious that they should do something next and look the big 10 had had a clear move they can make in response to the sec getting texas and oklahoma and they did they brought in usc and ucla and that makes a lot of business sense for them it probably makes a lot of sense for the for the two la schools to to end up there in the big 10 but after that you know barring a big decision from notre dame at some point in time and you sort of get the impression that notre dame if it can find a way to be both financially viable and competitively viable as an independent they may want to do that they've got a you know a contract coming up with nbc here in a couple of years they get a chance to renegotiate that if they're gonna get enough money from that and if the the sort of competitive structure college football playoff things like that remains what it is then notre dame may not feel any motivation to join a league in kind of the same way in which they kind of haven't felt that motivation in the past and so if a if the pac-12 or the big 12 or the acc kind of remains intact a little bit um you know i think that gives a little more cover for notre dame to remain independent if it wants to let me just also just say this really really quick and we'll move on Here's the other thing about the future of conference expansion that's going to be a little bit more difficult to predict. You know, when the SEC added Texas A&M and Missouri in 2012, that was all about 
cable television markets because the world in 2012 was still dominated by cable television. You know, Missouri coming into the league meant the SEC network could now appear in St. Louis and Missouri and, and Kansas City. There was clearly a lot of money to be made because of that. The same way with A&M being close to Houston and San Antonio, places like that, that, that all of a sudden those television markets were brought into the SEC footprint. When the, S, when the Big Ten added Maryland and uh, Rutgers, that was once again all about getting access to big cities and getting the Big Ten network and your sort of television package in those bigger markets, you were just able to kind of attract more cable TV dollars that way. Think about your own viewing habits and how much they've changed since 2012, 2014. Do you still have a traditional cable bundle subscription? I still do. Many people, many, many people no longer do. We saw Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, the other day come out and say, not only is it likely that their Sunday ticket, their kind of you know pay-per-view package, not only is it likely that it will be on a streaming service, he wants it to be on a streaming service. Now, why would Roger Goodell want the... Um, NFL to be on a streaming service. Here's what you got to understand. You know, we think about like the traditional TV providers as very big companies, but compared to the streamers, they're actually pretty small. One of the way we measure a size of a company is called it's like market cap. It's market capitalization rate. Um, like a CBS has got a market cap of somewhere in the neighborhood of like say 30, 40 billion. Apple's market cap is like $3 trillion. These are just much bigger companies than traditional streamers like Apple, like Amazon, and therefore they have much more ability to pay exorbitant fees for the programming. That if these, you know, sports entities that have like had these huge TV contracts in the past, if they want those dollars to keep going up, they're going to have to turn to a streamer in order to do that because the streamers, Apple's, Amazon, maybe even eventually Netflix, they just have more ability to pay then eventually the TV programmers are going to be able to pay. So if you're thinking about future SEC expansion, you know, it used to be, well, you don't want a school in the state where you're already located because that's not expanding your television footprint. Like cable TV still matters for now, but the next media rights deal coming after this, cable television may not even be a thing by the time you get to that next deal that comes after this one. At that point in time, it's not about media markets. It's about total number of eyeballs. And at that point in time, the discussion becomes a a little bit different. Now, it's not necessarily easy to predict how it will evolve, but it's not the same conversation we had in 2012 and 2014. With that said, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Great time to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. And your opportunity to do that is right now. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you with that. And one of the reasons why we recommend a travel agent when it comes to a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is simply because of all the options that are available for you. It starts with the port you sail out of. And for me, especially with things being kind of where they are right now, like if I can drive to a, to a port, that's what I'm going to do. And the port right there at Port Canaveral, very easy to drive to right there around Orlando, just down the road from Orlando, really. And so I'm looking at ships that kind of sail out of Port Canaveral. That means either a three or four night sailing. We took a great one on uh, Independence of the Seas back in the spring. I was at Port Canaveral back in February on a beautiful seven night cruise on Wonder of the Sea. So you got like the longer cruises or the shorter cruises. You can do any of those out of Port Canaveral. You want one of the big Oasis class ships, you got that opportunity, or you want a little more intimate ship that's maybe uh, for you a little easier to navigate if that's what you want, then you got that there at Port Canaveral too. The point is there are tons of options. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you out with all those options. So find them online, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. Or give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. I'll tell you this, I'm also very excited about Wonder of the Seas taking a home in Port Canaveral here very soon. Can't wait for that. Largest cruise ship in the world sailing right out of our backyard. And, or at least, relatively speaking, right out of our backyard. Certainly cannot wait for that. All right, uh, let's bounce through a couple of SEC through topics here for a moment. SEC Media Days reps have been announced. We talked about the Georgia guys here a moment ago. How about the other names from the rest of the league? Let's show you some of that and talk about some of these guys, who they are. Interesting for who's going, in some cases, interesting who, for who's not going. You know, in the case of South Carolina, for instance, you know, no Spencer uh, Rattler, he's not going there for them. Alabama's bringing the big names like you'd expect. Will Anderson, Bryce Young among that group. Uh, I think it's really interesting when you look at uh, Texas A&M, who you were talking with Tony Barnhart about this a moment ago. You know, as Tony said, a lot of this for A&M sort of centers around what's going to happen there at quarterback with Zach Calzada no longer there. 
with the battle taking place between Haynes King and uh, Max Johnson, the recent transfer. But look at who they're bringing. No disrespect here, but it's you know, Damani Richardson, the defensive back. It's Layden Robinson, an offensive lineman. And then it's Anaya Smith, who's uh, you know kind of an all-purpose type guy for them. You know, one of the things that's held A&M back probably as much as anything is what's happened for them on the offensive side of the ball. Think about the key cog of their offense a year ago, Isaiah Spiller, no better than a fourth-round pick. Tight end Jalen Weidermeyer didn't get drafted at all. You know, people think, oh, you know, Georgia's had some offensive issues. A program like A&M has really had those offensive issues. And in terms of, you know, what A&M is putting forth next week at SEC Media Days, not necessarily a signal that's kind of planning on changing. And I think that's kind of interesting. My expectation is that Will Levis, the uh, Kentucky quarterback, probably makes some headlines. He's a little bit of an eccentric guy. He probably gets some of that. Florida clearly treating Anthony Richardson different than Dan Mullen treated him when he was the Gators coach. It always seemed like that Mullen was very slow to buy in on Richardson. However, in the early stages of the Billy Napier era, they've been all in on Richardson. You know, Napier was very praising of him after spring practice and now putting him at the forefront of what they're bringing to SEC media days. That is a little bit of an interesting statement. You know, you look at Ole Miss bringing an offensive lineman, defensive end, a wide receiver. You know, so much of that program this year, that nucleus is related to transfer players. But the guys that Ole Miss choosing to bring to SEC media days, not necessarily from that crop. Uh, so it's kind of worth paying attention to who's going to be there. Uh, Hendon Hooker, of course, leading the way there for Tennessee. It's kind of an interesting crop of players will be at SEC Media Days there next week. Alabama coach Nick Saban was on Greg McElroy's podcast recently. I guess McElroy's doing his own podcast thing now. And he expressed some concern about the current NIL era in which we're in. Uh, he says, I think we're going to deal with this in a greater capacity than ever before, because I think mega conferences are probably here to stay, he says. Market share, there's a lot of that involved in why we're doing what we're doing. And what Saban expressed was kind of a concern that, hey, that's going to do away with competitive balance when you have all these super conferences in place. He says, we don't have any guardrails over what we're doing right now. I'm going to read more from him. He says, we have no restrictions on, on who can do what. Some people are going to be capable of doing certain things. Other people aren't going to be capable. But the bottom line is, we're going to lose competitive balance. And I do realize that like a lot of things that Saban said in the last few months, people sort of laugh about, oh, all of a sudden now Saban's worried about uh, competitive balance after the monopoly that he had over the sport for kind of a long time. And I understand why that seems like the kind of thing to laugh at. But let me give you kind of a different perspective on this. You know, one of the things that Georgia fans sometimes say is, and I've said this myself, and sometimes we say it jokingly, sometimes we seemingly say it seriously is, hey, you know, did Georgia win the last true national championship? You know, the idea that the entire country competing for the same trophy, playing by the same rules, was Georgia's national championship the last national championship? And it's one of the reasons why in all this conference expansion talk and this sort of evolution towards mega conferences or super conferences or whatever else, I sort of hope the Pac-12 finds a way to su- survive. I sort of hope that the Big 12 and the ACC finds a way to survive. I kind of hope that Notre Dame remains an independent in some form or fashion. I, I kind of hope that college football doesn't change that much because I do expect Georgia to go for a long time being one of the top programs in the country. And when you win the national championship, you like the idea of it feeling like it came versus the entire country. And so for Nick Saban, when he talks about competitive balance, I don't know that he's talking about making it fair for everybody. I think he likes the idea of knowing that his title came at the expense of everybody. And from that standpoint, he's, I think, telling the truth here is that is that those who've made their life in college football and Saban is clearly a lifer after you know all these decades you know being involved here. Those that that have made their life in college football are going to be a little cautious about the kind of moves that could happen in the future that seemingly block off such huge swaths of the sport from being competitive whatsoever. Now, listen, this is not supposed to be corporate welfare, and there's not necessarily supposed to be a seat guaranteed for everybody at the table. That's just life. It's survival of the fittest. We understand that. But I think what gives guys like Saban pause, and probably me too there as well, it's not just that one or two schools are having a hard time keeping up. It's like half the league in the Pac-12, maybe even the entirety of the rest of the league. You know, the majority of the Big 12, you know, the overwhelming majority, 80, 90 percent of the ACC. It's not just that one or two schools are having a hard time keeping up. It's essentially that we're saying, you know, basically about two thirds of the sport doesn't belong 
at the at the top level of competition. That's what gives a guy like Saban a little bit of pause, and I think that's probably you know a justified statement to have. Uh, speaking of Greg McElroy, he also had an interesting statement in his own right lately about what he sees truly going on with NIL. Now, we've talked about this plenty, and this is one of those things that I just think we need more accurate reporting on, and I'm glad to finally see someone who's kind of at a national level with a pretty prominent you know, following echoing statements we've made for a long time about the fact that a lot of the reporting that exists on NIL is just totally unsubstantiated, and it's actually fairly easy to falsify. And at some point in time, creating a more accurate level of reporting about what's actually going on in IL and having a more realistic conversation about what's truly taking place in the sport would just sort of benefit us all. So let me give you McElroy on this uh, about what he sees going on in IL. This comes from uh, Saturday Down South. He says, so you got to consider the source too, right? He means about the NIL reporting. A lot of the numbers that are coming from representation and agencies, we've said this a million times, that so many of the people who are giving you sort of supposed inside information on NIL have a vested interest in making themselves sound big and cool by by saying what they're saying. And so that's what they do. He says, in an effort, I think, to drive up the price of their next client, the numbers that I've heard from Division One schools, they're like 10% of the affirmation, $11 million. In other words, you hear these big numbers being thrown around, but McElroy says, in reality, the actual NIL number may only be about 10% of that, which we think is probably accurate. He says, and even that's ultimately on the high side. He says, it's a lot of money. There's no denying that, that it's a lot of money. But that is like the highest, and that's the top half of 1% of the entire sport maybe making a million dollars. There may be 10 guys in the country that have a legitimate million-dollar deal. He says, I don't know the specific numbers, but they're really small. I think this is all really true. And you may be left to say, well, B.A., what does it matter? Why do you care? Ultimately, we should all want the conversation that's dominating our sport, the sport we care about more than other, to be an accurate conversation. We should kind of want that. But also, I think – pushing back against the narrative that nil is so out of control you got nine million people making you know millions of dollars and you know this quarterback got offered 11 million dollars to go to florida but he turned that down he's going to go to miami for nine million dollars kind of pushing back against that obvious nonsense i think helps keep college football from getting even crazier in the future because one thing i've always predicted is is that people are going to use the alleged nonsense around the current state of nil to argue for even more radical change in the future but if we actually report accurately what's going on and all these lawyers who are sort of beloved sources by you know so many of the national reporter types and kind of point out the fact that this person has a reason has a motivation a justification for why they might exaggerate claims so that therefore maybe we shouldn't believe everything they're saying that we kind of push back on that now we can keep college football from getting even crazier in the future on the basis of hey well it's already so crazy now when greg mcelroy says something we've said here quite a bit is that actually it may not be quite as crazy as it seems yes nil is a very present factor in recruiting yes there are a good number of players who are choosing the school they're going to because of nil but it's probably not 30 million dollars for for texas a&m it's probably not eight million dollars for for uh, uh nico imaleva it's probably not nine million dollars for Jaden rashada that it may be a fraction of that and that's still kind of a lot of money but the overall numbers you hear thrown around so much of this kind of stuff coming from that same lawyer dude who's you know on the speed dial for every national reporter there is so much of this coming from that same guy that maybe we ought to take some of this kind of stuff with a grain of salt i'm glad to hear greg McElroy speak up and say that all right a couple of things here real quick Mike Farrell, who used to work for Rivals, now I guess kind of on his own, I believe, <laughs> he had a, a piece recently where he basically suggested that Arch Manning was overrated, that if Manning's last name was not Manning, they'd probably only be a three-star quarterback. And listen, people are going to say what they say. You know, There's always going to be a hot take to be had. This one was kind of always out there for anybody who wanted to take it. But it is really interesting the way in which just one guy's opinion about one player has gotten so much tension in the last 24 hours or so. And I've seen the Manning sort of take from Farrell pop up on a lot of the different websites that kind of, you know, sort of share viral stories. I've seen the Manning thing pop up quite a bit. And to me, this is very instructive about a lot of this kind of stuff. A, there's no doubt that 
Manning's last name being Manning was not a neutral thing for the big national websites that cover this stuff for a living. Clearly, they know there was good business to be had by having a guy like this at the top of their rankings. There's no doubt that's not true. What we said before is, is that he was probably destined to be a five-star quarterback no matter what because of that. But just because he's famous doesn't mean that he's not actually very good. I mean, Jeff Sintel saw him play, practice in person, certainly came way impressed with what he saw there. So I think it's difficult to know yet how good of a player Manning's going to be because it's kind of difficult to know how good any of these guys are going to be before they get onto a college campus. This kind of, you know, no different there on that. But boy, he's going to have a spotlight on him. And for a guy that some people are just kind of waiting to jump in and say, see, I told you so, he was overrated. Going to a program that kind of also kind of has that label attached to them there too, there's no bigger joke in college football than the notion that Texas is back. That's been kind of the most sarcastic phrase in this sport for quite some time. To think that that program that's got its own issues with being way too overrated way too frequently has a quarterback like Manning coming in that I don't think is probably overrated. I'm guessing he's probably a pretty good player, but that is kind of also facing that group of media type fan types ready to kind of jump in and say, see this, told you so, same thing, silver spoon in his mouth, Arch Manning, no better than the three star. He was totally overrated because his family's famous. This could be a very interesting marriage in the years to come as we all get a chance to find out. This guy, Arch, who's gotten so much mainstream attention, way more than the typical five-star quarterback would get. Obviously, we're guilty of that. We certainly did a lot of that here at Dog Nation. How good does he end up being for a program that eventually needs some sort of quarterback to be good because uh, Texas has dealt with its own overrated accusations for as long as any of us can remember? And then finally, there's this. uh, Caleb Jackson, four-star running back, commits to LSU. They've had a nice little run here under Brian Kelly. Yeah, you see kind of a cool edit there. Once again, um, you know, he's holding up the Heisman Trophy uh, deal there. We've seen a lot of recruits do that before, so I don't have an issue with that. But you can't be using the national championship trophy. I mean, Brian Kelly, this is as close as he's ever going to get to a national championship, you know, borrowing Ed Orgeron's national title or or Les Miles' national title. I guess that has to be Orgeron's because it's a playoff trophy. But I have an issue with Orgeron, I should say with Brian Kelly using the the national championship he didn't win as part of the recruiting graphic because the only reason he's at LSU is because he realized he was never going to win a national title at Notre Dame. So I got no issue with Jackson holding the Heisman Trophy deal here in his edit. But I can't have the uh, I can't have the national title. Uh, y'all fired the national win- championship winning coach. That means I don't know that you get a chance to celebrate that title in your recruiting graphics for right now. But nonetheless, we will make that cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I was going to do a little thing on uh, Dan Jackson today. We're so late now. We might as well just save that for tomorrow. So we'll do an around the doghouse related to that tomorrow. I think it actually is pretty good stuff. But that's something we'll have to do at a different time let me instead quickly remind you about our friends the finish long drink of course uh, a great thing to enjoy as you get ready for the summer and a great thing to enjoy on our dog nation duck hunt tailgate finish long drink a big part of that it's going to be a great time the finish long drink will be flowing there that day and for some of you it'll be your first chance to try that hopefully not though hopefully by now you've tried it uh, whether it be picking up one of those eight can variety packs which is two different cans of each of the different uh, four different long drink varieties the cranberry, which obviously self-explanatory, the cranberry flavor going with that gin kick, the long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carb, no sugar. I kind of like the traditional, though. It's the grapefruit flavor to go along with the uh, that great gin kick, which is so enjoyable, a ready-to-drink cocktail right there in a can. I like things to be simple and easy. I don't want to do a bunch of work if I don't have to. So for those of you that enjoy mixed drinks, I'm going to pop the top on this can and enjoy a little finished long drink today. It's a mixed drink for you, ready-to-drink cocktail right there in a can. Uh, it's a great new category of beverage, and the we think the finished long drink is the best example of this great category. So try the longdrink.com and figure out where you can get some today. The longdrink.com, you can pick up some finished long drink and be enjoying some of that here today. All right, a couple of golden shoes to say goodbye for us here today. And we always appreciate so many great golden shoe submissions. We'll show you our first one here for today. We've got a couple to give out. Our buddy Mike the Mad Dog checking in again. And I mean, his Photoshop skills are amazing. Uh, his caption to me says, B.A., it's all uphill, uphill from here. And you see uh, Billy Napier, the Florida coach, climbing the mountain. And the arrow points, says dogs on top. And you get the sign that says caution falling gators. You see Jim McElwain dropping, Dan Mullen dropping. I mean, Mad Dog takes us on a journey. 
This isn't just like a meme. This is like a story arc. This is this is a tremendous narrative established by Mad Dog. Once again, well-earned golden shoe for him. Same thing for our buddy Richard Dees there as well, who shares this great young family member. Uh, start him young, raise him right. The onesie, I believe this is called. The Georgia Bulldog onesie with the dog face logo. Always a cool thing to see. Richard, great, great looking uh, young child there. And we really appreciate you sharing that. And we'll make that another golden shoe winner for today there too how about a gator hater updater 4934 days since florida has won a national championship boy that's bad news and guess what 100 is it 108 days now 108 days from now dogs back in jacksonville taking care of that business once again it's our gator hater countdown this is dog nation daily presented by breda pass management we'll see you again tomorrow and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take your comments here on twitter at dog nation daily in the comment section at dognation.com. one of the things we talked about a lot today was next week's sec media days and the players that will be there both for georgia and the rest of the league i thought that good time dog had an interesting comment at dognation.com in the story when it was first announced that the players who'd be being there and he said that uh he was kind of shocked to see that south carolina's not carting out spencer rattler with the designated player representatives he says, it's interesting also how many teams do not have their quarterback speaking to the press. I'll be very interested in hearing our player reps, what they have to say about the upcoming season, go dogs. So I think what uh, Good Time brings up is interesting on two fronts. First of all, there are kind of distinctly different teams in the SEC. Um, and I'm trying to think here. I don't have the full list in front of me. Is there any team that's settled at quarterback that's not bringing its quarterback? Florida's bringing AR. Georgia's taking Stetson Bennett. Um, I guess South Carolina, as he says, is the example of that. Other than that, though, Hooker for South Carolina, for Tennessee, uh, Will Levis for Kentucky. You know, for the most part, the teams that are settled at quarterback are bringing their guy. Is Mississippi State taking Will Rogers? No, Mississippi State's not taking Will Rogers. That's an example of another team that's not taking. Uh, it's what I would think of as settled starting quarterback. They're taking th- three, five, you know, fifth-year seniors on that. But for the most part, teams that are settled kind of are taking their quarterback. And I think that what that speaks to is, okay, so the, for the other teams, it sort of shows you that Auburn, unsettled at quarterback. We don't know who their guy is going to be. LSU, unsettled at quarterback. We don't know who their guy is going to be. Ole Miss is actually weirdly sort of unsettled at quarterback at one point in time. People thought that Jackson Dart was this like big hot prospect, you know, the next uh, Matt Corral, but it's not obvious that Dart's going to start at Ole Miss. They've got another player uh, from out of Starkville who who may end up being that guy. So Ole Miss right now in the category of teams with unsettled starter quarterbacks. So is Missouri, um, and so is Texas A&M. Texas A&M not bringing a quarterback either. Uh, that's an example of being unsettled there. So there are a decent number of teams in the SEC that right now legitimately don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be. And obviously, we'll be watching a lot of that very closely in the remainder of the summer to see who emerges there. And the other thing about the Spencer Rattler deal is, now some of this related to Rattler could be specific to him. The honest truth is, is I don't know that Spencer Rattler has always handled himself like a leader. Some of you have known Rattler for a long time, going back to appearances on the you know the Netflix show or whatever else. And he don't know that he always presented himself in the best light in those situations. I don't know that his, you know, handling of himself at Oklahoma was always as great as it could have been. So maybe this is just about, you know, right now Rattler's not quite the leader for the Gamecocks program. It, it could be that, but I think this also kind of highlights what Alabama in some cases is dealing with, what Ole Miss is definitely dealing with, you know, in South Carolina a little bit too, which is that. A lot of these teams are entrusting their success this year to players who just showed up and legitimately aren't part of the nucleus of the program. That's typically speaking the kind of returning leaders from the previous year's team. That's certainly what Nolan Smith and Stetson Bennett and Cedric Von Prine Granger are for Georgia. But we live in a day and age now where the transfer players are so much more important. But it would almost be disingenuous for Shane Beamer to bring Spencer Rattler and say, hey, Here's a guy that just got here five minutes ago, but he's already one of the recognized spokesmen for our team. That would just be a little bit disingenuous. It's almost like even though you're going to certainly be turning to a lot of these transfer players for success this season, there is still something from the leadership part of this that still must be earned for Rattler in Columbia, 
for Jermaine Burton and Jameer Gibbs and others there in Alabama for maybe Jackson Dart, possibly Zach Evans and others there at Ole Miss and, you know, Max Johnson at Texas A&M or, you know, Jane Daniels at LSU. You keep going on down the list of all the high profile transfers into the league, but, you know, their status as leader, their status as central figure with the program that's the kind of thing that just sort of has to be earned over the, the the long haul. And maybe SEC media days just isn't enough time for that to have happened yet. I think it's a very interesting uh, look at that from one of our commenters. And I wanted to make sure we shared that here. Hey, all of you, thank you so much for your insight and what you share with us here. We love reading that, whether they come in at Dog Nation Daily or in the comments section at dognation.com. We appreciate you being here, part of our podcast, Cool Down Today, presented by R.S. Andrews. And we will invite you to check out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com if your water heater goes out they can replace it for you in the same day or if you're worried about your air conditioning units not keeping your house as cold as it needs to maybe you need to get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs with our friends at rs andrews they'll do it for you online at rsandrews.com have a great day we'll see you tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by breda pest management we'll look forward to talking to you then